All right, all right, all right. You know what that means. My name is Mitch Maley, and this is the Bradenton Times Podcast. I am joined, as usual, by my colleague, Mrs. Don Kitterman, and we have a special in-studio guest this week, and that is Kevin Wright, a retired military officer, Colonel, correct? Uh, retired Lieutenant Colonel, United States Army. And you are the, is it the outgoing or former I, I was the former chair of the Manatee County Republican Liberty Caucus, and part of the reason why I am the former is because I, I am now uh, one of three at-large directors for the state Republican Liberty Caucus of Florida. So it allows me to concentrate on that and also for somebody else to take up the reins and uh, move the train forward on the uh, Manatee County Republican Liberty Caucus. Now that it's a Soros-funded left-wing operation. <laughs> I've heard that. I've heard that, but uh, fortunately, that that line is uh, is dying a certain and slow death, as it should, because it's it's a lie. Well, and that's interesting. I'm glad you you uh, came in to talk with us today, because when you look at the overall history, now you've been in Manatee County. It's about three years now. Uh, about five years. Five now. years. Okay. Yeah, moved down here from Georgia, right? I came down from Georgia, lived in St. Pete for about four months as we were home shopping, and then. Uh, I've moved all my life. I was 24 years military service, retired in 2007. And uh, in retirement, my wife was still a civil servant. And so our last moves were for her. And we have moved as much for employment uh, every two or three years as I did when I was in active duty. And uh, we're done. We're, we're, we're finished. This is our home forever. And that's why uh, it's important to me that this community uh, uh, actually be a good place to live, work, and play. Uh, in fact is not just in words. Yeah, this is uh, it's interesting because, you know, we've described it recently as something of a circular firing squad in the Republican Party because the, and it keeps getting narrower and narrower, meaning there's less and less room for any sort of diversity of opinion. And if anybody basically disagrees with the development cartel, they are immediately labeled as, <laughs> it's, it's, it's really like, I know we're talking about a serious issue and a serious problem in the county but it is comical because it's almost like a hogan's hero level of farcicalness that we've finally gotten to where it's just everybody's a commie if they're not if they're not just lock stock and barrel with the ever moving target that what it means to be a well we'll use the term real manatee county conservative yeah, as I was telling you before we went on, I says, uh, you know, up until about a year ago, I was criticized by my fellow Republicans uh, for uh, having too much of a litmus test, for being too conservative. In fact, they referred, a media and others referred to the Liberty Caucus as being the conservative wing of the Republican Party. And then all of a sudden, in the last six to 12 <laughs> months, all of a sudden, uh, we, are, we have been duped by George Soros and the crew. Uh, but really, we haven't departed from the three fundamental principles, which if you're a Republican, you're supposed to, which is, these are American principles, by the way, constitutionally limited government individual rights and responsibilities and free enterprise free markets plain and simple i think that's something that all americans can get behind uh, and it's not just a matter of opinion about that there is clear demonstrable evidence that many of the things that are republicans on the board of county commissioners and other elected offices have departed from those things they still have they still wrap themselves in the flag and they they they, they will hold the bible and say this is the faith god is driving me this well 
you know, I'm a, I'm a follower of Christ, and I'm a patriot, and nobody can doubt that. Uh, but I, I, have a, I have a different perspective about how uh, what you are doing is not uh, for the better of the community. It is not what you're elected to do. Uh, but instead, it is becoming more evident, I think, to an increasing number of people in Manatee County of both parties uh, that the folks that are calling the shots are Carlos Baruf, uh, Pat Neal, other developers, and the folks that do their bidding for them, and that are the uh, and all these elected officials are their former and soon to be future clients as they run for elected office with the likes of Anthony Pedersini. Yeah, well, I, this is kind of the part where I say I told you so because I've been <laughs> I've been saying that for over a decade now, and some interesting history. If you move back to the sort of uh, let's go back to like 2010. And we've gone over this a little bit in the podcast before, but this is, I think, really instructive to what we're seeing right now in Republican politics. If you remember, that was the year of the Tea Party. And you had a lot of legitimate organic grassroots movements. But one of the problems that happens in politics, particularly that was also the year of Citizens uh, United versus the FEC. So particularly since money has basically been an unlimited resource in politics, you have this dynamic where, and, and well, there's one other dynamic that's probably really important to Manatee County, which is we've had one party rule effectively for a very long time. And I have said consistently as an independent, you know, I, my son goes to school in California. He grew up in Florida. Uh, both he and I get to kind of experience one party rule in two different directions. And what I can say consistently about it is that it will always end up this way. It will always end up where you will be dominated by special interests that are able to co-opt whatever organic movements come with money and then wrap it in the wording of the movement. And then before people know what hit them, the same forces have taken over. So if we go back to 2010 when the Tea Party started out, and that mostly started over at Mixon's Fruit Farm, and you had, in Manatee County, it was it was very organic in the beginning, uh, but it was very anti-developer. And the song of the Tea Party that year was, hey, including some of the people who are at the front of the movement that you're talking about right now, uh, Steve Vernon would be one of them. Steve Vernon was part of that loud crowd saying, these Republicans that we're trying to get out now are all in the pockets of developers. They're not doing what we want as a community, and we need to throw them all out. So the developers were persona non grata by the core of people that were active in Republican politics in 2010. And that continued really for a couple of years. Now, they were still pumping money into it, but it was also something that Republicans had to be very defensive about taking that money, and then they had to try to explain, hey, no, 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 I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to just do whatever they want. It was, uh, it was a different time. And really what I got to give Carlos Baruf and, you know, Pettacini through, I guess, doing the work for him, I don't know who the, the, the mastermind of the, the strategy was, but the brilliant play that he made was in 2016 when the country became as divided as it's been probably in at least 100 years. And there was a very aggressive America first, make America great again, you know, Trump MAGA movement. He co-opted that perfectly. And he decided, hey, instead of going after these people for these 
just, you know, silly things in their personal lives or whatever. I'm going to make every one of these races through these dark money packs about who's more MAGA than the other. Who's the real Trump Republican and who's the rhino? And can I point out really quick, if you don't mind me interrupting, the um, the pack in 2020 that most of the funding was moved for, through for our local races, um, the name of that pack was Make America Great Again. Yes, so that that was not to impugn you as being taking special interest money. You were on the Trump train. Right. So there was this brilliant flip in which they convinced people that this wasn't about local issues. This wasn't about developer influence in politics, which you've right and left has been railing against in our community. This is really about the threat of socialism in Maddie County, which I find absolutely hilarious. A place where Republicans have been winning by 70% forever. This county is going to be conservative and Republican for the foreseeable future. I don't see that changing in my lifetime. I, I really just, I can't even conceive of it. So the idea that we really ever have a threat of socialism here to me is is one of the you know it's mccarthyism at its best well i don't know here we are three socialists sitting around a table <laughs> technically this is a meeting this right? could be a strategy meeting i, I kid yeah so the <laughs> but what was so beautiful about it in in the you know just the 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 conception is that the train they attached themselves onto was just another developer <laughs> So the developer said, no, 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 it's not about us. It's about this great guy up here and us having to be on his side. And he, he kind of is you. He's just a larger, more successful version of it. Um, but to, so to see that, so we saw that very clearly. And I've been analyzing, you know, Manti County politics for going on 14 years now. And I saw all these moves playing out. And it was very frustrating to me because in our coverage, we would routinely try to instruct people of, hey, listen, I know they're trying to make this out about being this, but just look here who's paying for all of it and what do you think their intentions are? Do you really think that these home builders are trying to keep Manatee County safe from socialist ideology or do you think they're trying to use the fear-mongering of that to gain influence that they were just going to use for their own means? So as you were saying, you know, in your your three principles there, it becomes very clear if you're paying any kind of attention. If you're not just reading the mailers and voting and, and going to the rah-rah meetings and saying, yeah, we won. If you're paying attention to result, it becomes very clear, oh, this isn't about conservatism. This has nothing to do with Republican ideology. This is just garden variety, run-of-the-mill corruption and special influence peddling. And, and I think it would be accurate to say that when Mr. Wright began stating that publicly is when the attacks were turned onto him. Would, would you say that's right? Uh, that's entirely accurate. And Mitch, to what you said, uh, when you said, I told you so, I, I got to give you credence. That's right. It is, I told you so. Uh, and it wasn't that uh, my folks in Liberty Caucus that we were stupid or that we were necessarily duped. It's just that uh, we, we believed and we really did uh, believe that we were going to have folks that were going to do precisely what they campaigned to run on. 
And as it turns out, that's not the case. They've kept the same things on the exterior, and when they're defending things, they still uh, trumpet out the business about we're the real conservatives. Mm -hmm. There are six conservatives on the Board of County Commissioners, (laughs) and they're all looking over there uh, for those at at George Cruz that he's no longer the conservative. What a bunch of nonsense. We should have invited him. We could have had another socialist in here. (laughs) Well, he was at lunch today, too. But you, you talked about the Tea Party, and uh, you know I retired from the military after 24 years in 2007. My political roots started in the Tea Party in 2008. That was two years before the Tea Party went national. That was when it was absolutely grassroots. I was a geographic bachelor teaching ROTC up in Tennessee. And I got invited by, amazingly enough, see how it goes around, a radio personality at a rally for the Tea Party in downtown uh, Jackson, Tennessee. And so I said, sure, I'd like to do that. And so I did my homework. I spoke to that group, and that's what I did until 2015 when I was uh, back home more permanently in Georgia uh, that I became involved in partisan politics in the Republican Party. I assumed that a lot of things that were driving the Tea Party movement were going to be driving a lot of what the Republican Party was, and it was because, hey, I got elected. I was a state committeeman in Georgia. I was uh, vice chairman of my party. I was discommitted. I was, I was all in. That's the, what I do. Uh, when I'm all in, but I'm all in on b- specific principles. And when I see us wandering away from those principles, and I already stated the, the three that will be true to, and, and your, your actions and what you do and your votes have got to do that. You can't just say this is the conservative thing to do. This is the free enterprise. This is the capitalist thing to do. We know we're smart enough. I hate to be insulted. That's the worst thing the elected official can do is insult my intelligence. And I've gotten that a lot. I got it from Robert Spencer, the, the Manti Herald guy that kind of ousted uh, Mark Young that we talked about right there. I got that. I hate having my uh, intelligence insulted because uh, – in the end, we're smarter than that. And I think uh, most of the folks are smarter. And I think that's catching a lot of our elected officials and those that are kind of pulling their strings right now by surprise. And we're not going to give up. We are not going to give up. You can, you can use all this stuff like say, oh, you're George Soros, you're that, or you're just not listening and all that stuff. Like, Well, no, the, the problem is you're not listening. You're not listening to one another. There is, it's very plain and simple. I, I listen to the Board of County Commission all the time if I'm not there in person. And I say, well, wait a minute. Did you just hear what so-and-so just said? Not just George Cruz, but others. Did you hear what they said? And can you hear yourselves talking? Are you listening to the people that get up there and they talk about uh, at length, or, or you just listen to one person, you would say, well, uh, George Soros is funding that group right there. Well, you're just ignoring the other two or three hours in the thousands of emails that you've gotten from people from the left, the right, saying this is not the right thing to do with regard to the wetlands. And it's always with this Board of County Commissions an either-or thing. It's either what we're voting on right now or it's what we have right now. And that's what the wetlands was all about. There's absolutely no consideration that there might be an in-between. You might say, hey, wait a minute. Um, instead of just going with the absolute minimum standard, and it's a minimum for a reason for the state, and, and it's supposed to apply to all the counties in Florida that have almost no wetlands at all, absolutely no impact, but instead we're going to apply that here to Manatee County where the wetlands really do. But, yeah, we do have some parts with us. We do have some individuals out there that may be affected by a, a, an overreach for the, 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 the rules that we're following. That's fine. But instead of saying, okay, let's think about this instead of rushing to this and let's uh, fly the banner that says, hey, we're doing this all for property rights, property rights. 
make no mistake about it, the, the main property rights that are being defended was by the guy that's been fighting for a long time. And you know, long before I came around five years ago, he fought for this for a long time to get the, exactly what this Board of County Commission handed, and that was Carlos Brew, yeah, to be able to do exactly, exactly this. There's some in-between there. There's not an either-or thing. But even like the resolutions where George Cruz with the lone vote, they never once considered. They wanted to make a political statement, put him on the outside, uh, carpet him as being some closet liberal, which is incredible nonsense, but that was the intent to do that. He's a closet liberal. Uh, he's really George Soros. He's, dead, he's lost his way. He has fundamentally not changed. I, in the Liberty Caucus, has not fundamentally changed. Uh, hey, they may be great Americans on the outside, what they're trying to do, but what they're doing is not right, and they are not listening uh, to we, the people, which is, you know, in a government of, by, and for the people, that's where the grassroots is supposed to be, not the special interest. In what you just said there about, um, you know, concerning the, the wetlands vote and the fact that there were 30, maybe more than 30 people who spoke from you know, all political spectrum and, and many of them, you couldn't have even necessarily pegged them as to what their partisanship was if they even had one, but yet they were all saying and asking the same thing of this board. And I feel like I have learned and I am finding more and more that there is really very few or to none things that this board would be or should be doing on a policy level that really rises to partisan. I mean, these sorts of policies that impact the entire county, it, it, it comes to mind the saying of, uh, uh, you know, county before party kind of thing. Like, it doesn't, something with the wetlands, it doesn't matter <laughs> what your party is. If you live in the county, you're going to be impacted by a rollback on regulations where, like you said, the argument in the end, it, it morphed over time. But in the end, the, the final, you know, period on the sentence that we got was this is about private property rights, which I agree with you entirely about whose private property rights that was really about. Um, but that argument is literally full of hot air because, um, yeah, for one thing, there's lots of other you know, restrictions on our property rights. We can't just do whatever we want because we own our property. I mean, and yeah, but I mean, George made a great point. It's like, how, how do you explain an easement then? Yes. You know what I mean? How, how do you explain any restriction whatsoever? Of course you have to. And that, when we get to, and this is the part where, I hate when movement politics get reduced to talking points that can so easily be applied. Because when you look at something and you say, you know, property rights. Okay, well, that's just, that, that, yes, there are certain things that, but at the end of the day, you know, government exists because of property rights. That's, that's the original genesis for government is the ability to say, I own this land from here to here to here, and there's going to be some enforcement besides just the rule of the jungle if you encroach on the, I have the right to own property and there will be an institution for which the the ownership of that property is sort of meted out. But that's always involved this idea of, okay, but things like the waste you produce on your property, the things that spill off of your property into the other people's property, there's always then been this, how do we litigate the 
impacts of you using the things that we have agreed, okay, you own this, but if your exercise of ownership impacts my exercise of ownership, well, that impedes on my right to, you know, uh, pursuit of happiness, right? Yeah, I think there's two things. One thing that Don said and one thing you just said that get at the crux of a lot of things. And a gentleman at uh, Commissioner Bearden's Town Hall this morning uh, made your point abundantly clear. He says, it seems like some of our commissioners are talking out of both sides of the mouth. On one hand, they're talking property rights, but they're advocating things that are infringing on my property rights all the time on a regular basis. And if you look a little bit, if you're a little bit more far-sighted, what are the impacts upon our not just our public good and our well-being, but our property uh, because of the giant step that you took to go with the state minimum on wetlands? So that was one thing that's at the crux of things. Don hit at the, at, at the crux of one thing. It really gets down to this: what is the fundamental competency? if you are on the school board or if you're a county commissioner. What are the fundamental responsibilities and duty descriptions that say that are called for to do that? We have too many folks. Uh, I elected folks that I think are like-minded for me because I want that philosophy to drive the policy decisions that they make. But at some point, and we're a year into some of our most recently elected board of county commissioners, and they are still on the campaign trail. They're still using the talking points many of them fed to them by other people, not coming out of their own mouths. They're still doing that at some point, oh, eight, nine months ago, you gotta get off the campaign trail and you've gotta govern, you have to govern. That's why uh, George Cruz, I, I haven't always agreed with him and he knows that. Mark Young said that at lunch today, I haven't always agreed with you, but when it comes to these fundamental things, uh, where, where it's about the basic business of what government is to do at this level in the county, it just is not being tended to, and you got to get away from these things, and you can't disguise bad policy, bad decision-making uh, under the umbrella of what won you uh, the campaign to get it. we got to get beyond that. The people are smarter than that, and we're getting smarter. I think, I think what you just said there, though, is so important when you say, I don't always agree with you, but that, that to me, has never, and I'm, I'm just not a naturally partisan person. I, I don't like either party all that much in the in, in practice and i don't like reducing the complex business of public policy to a set of prescribed principles because there's if you ask me on every issue there's probably close to half and half where I'd say, well, I'd take a more conservative uh, approach to this one thing, but I take a more look. It doesn't make me one or the other. I like when I disagree with people. And I like when, and again, I'll point out that wherever you have one party rule, you tend toward worse outcomes. And the reason being is that just by nature, you're gonna tend toward extremes. Because if you have one party rule, where's the only place you can get into the game in the primary? Well, you're not going to primary somebody on the right from the left. You're not going to primary somebody from the left on the right. If you go out and say, I'm going to be a more moderate Democrat in you know, uh, San Francisco, it's not going to work that well for you in the primaries traditionally. If you come here and say, I'm a moderate Republican. I'm not all the way over here, but I believe in these basic principles. But however, you know, I also believe in this, this, and this. You're not going to do well in a Republican primary in Manatee County. You're just not. So you automatically reward the extremes in the primary and then you're 
too often you have no competition at all in the general. So you just every cycle go more toward a myopic view of things. And I'm, I'm curious to ask your perception on this because the one thing that I always remind myself is that one, I think disagreement is good. If, if I have an ideology, it's pragmatism. Let's hear all the ideas. Let's talk about the pros and cons. Let's walk them down the road. Like the military, we'd always gather as much information as you can, look at all the possible uh, routes you can take, start to give the strengths and weaknesses of each one, and then come to an informed decision based on what the end goal is, what risk tolerance you have for, for getting to it, and, and you devise strategy that way. So I, I look at public policy the same way, and I wish it was as nonpartisan as the military, because I want somebody that disagrees with me to challenge my idea. And I don't want to shout it down with, well, then you don't belong to my club and I don't need to listen to you anyway. And that's what we're hearing. We're hearing from these commissioners repeatedly, well, you don't sound like you supported me or voted for me anyway. So their philosophy of government seems to be a zero sum game in which if you're with me, then you're going to agree with everything that I say. Right. If you're not with me, I don't care what you think. And if, you di- if you're with me and then you disagree with me, well, you're not with me anymore anyway, so go to the other end of the line. Yeah, so don't we end up with it? My question is, don't we end up then, and what are your thoughts on this? Don't we end up with a tyranny of the minority? Don't we end up with a minority of the people imposing tyranny on the majority of people because they don't see themselves as representative of the community. They see themselves as representative of whoever agrees with them at any given moment. Yeah, and I think that uh, on your last podcast, you characterized it uh, correctly when you're talking about that. You know, they call us uh, as being communist sympathizers or closet liberals. Uh, but I think, correctly speaking, those that are the zero-sum gamers, and that goes back to the either-or kind of propositions that they put out there. There's never either-or. There's always things in between. But it's really it's fascist is what it is. It's fundamentally fascist. And fascism can be practiced by folks that are registered Republicans and elected Republicans. Uh, we see that in the Republican Party. You know, the state of Florida, this is the most closed primary state of any I've been in. I've lived in a lot of states. I've been registered to vote in four different states. Most of my life, it was in Kansas. I've been 44 years of a voting history, and all but five weeks of that, I was registered as a Republican to vote. And that five weeks happened to be here in the state of Florida because here we're only one of about four or five states that has... Most people don't understand there's a lot of differences between the jungle primaries of California, like you talked about, you got children out that way, and in Florida, there's a lot in between. And unfortunately, in my opinion, I like competition within the Republican Party... But and we talk about the gamesmanship that goes on right here. We see that there's two things that get talked about by Republicans. The one that gets all the attention is election integrity. But quite honestly, from what I've observed here in Manatee County, the idea of stealing votes and all that, that really hasn't been the issue. The thing that hasn't gotten any attention is what is we in the Liberty Caucus have been crying about for, for more than a decade now is campaign finance reform. And that's a huge problem in Florida, bigger than any state I've ever been in, including blue and red states, uh, where we have uh, – it's 
absolutely impossible uh, for the average citizen, unless they do an incredible amount of research to figure out where is the money coming from, where is it going to. And you talked about one of the PACs earlier, and of course, they stand up the PACs for a while, then it goes away. Some of them stay, have been around for a while, like Pettuccini Sim wins, for example. It's that, it's that vehicle. It never goes away, but it does this. But it's a way of doing that, and it's a way that these developers play into, and then uh, they, they, the puppets that play that or the elected officials do that, they rely on that because if I'm going to get reelected, if I'm going to get support for anything that I want to do, I have to do that. And then pretty soon they find themselves boxed into doing it and they've lost sight of the, the, the principles to do that. But we have got to, in the state of Florida, we've got to have competition. Uh, the, uh, th- third parties, I don't even know why uh, third parties even uh, bother to draw air in the state of Florida. Really don't. I've gone to some of their meetings. I have no intention of not being a registered Republican, but I visit with libertarians. I've gotten friends to, with the Constitutional Party folks right here. I, I had friends up in Georgia, those right there. I had a lot in common with a lot of the thinking. I mean, the Liberty Caucus fundamentally was started by libertarians 32 years ago that says, hey, we can't get the job done here. What we need to do instead is have a Republican Party that is true to its constitutional roots 150 years ago. Uh, which it's kind of strayed from. It's more about the party, and it's about the power of the party, and it's a very top-down driven thing. It is. As much as we say, hey, we're the grassroots here in Manatee County, no, we're not. No, we're not. We are not. There's fundamental things that we could have done here in the Republican Executive Committee to really, truly make it grassroots, and frankly, uh, that the right chairman there, and there were some promises made uh, by Steve Vernon when he was chair for about a year that he was going to do that, and they were too dang easy to do, but he didn't get it done. And then, of course, he quit. He was on his way. And then uh, his, his choice election, uh, April Allison Colbreth, is now the chair. And she's dealing with some amazing issues that uh, I don't think that she should have foreseen. Uh, but she tried to write it off as well. We just got these minority of folks right here that are making a big fuss. But instead of saying, hey, how do we tend to the minority voices and say what is right and what they're doing, what are the things they'll be doing, and say we're going to dismiss them because they are the, the minority, we're the majority, uh, therefore uh, we rule, and that's it. And now they're paying the price for that because now that minority voices has got some other folks are saying, well, wait a minute, they weren't all right, but they were right about some things right here, and so we need to tend to that. And so now we have... What is not a dissension that was sown by troublemakers, which we're trying to write them off as. That's why there's now a Manti Republican Assembly as well as a Manti County Republican Liberty Caucus in existence because we saw that there was a gap that wasn't being filled. We saw voices that were conservative voices that were not being heard. They were being dismissed by the last three folks that have been chair of the county party since I've been here, and it probably preceded them, no doubt, with that. But that's a problem. That's a problem in both parties. But I don't care what the Democrats do. That They can mind their own business. they got their own <laughs> issues to deal with because they can't come up with decent candidates because they're wed to just some crazy, far-left-wing progressive ideas, I, oh, which is going to kill hold them. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, I will challenge you on that. We've had yeah. lots of talks about ideology, but there's a, there's a big difference. And one of them is a credit to some folks in the conservative movement because what you're saying is, is just fundamentally untrue. And what I mean by that is when the Tea Party wing ascended, they did something that Democrats were never willing to do. And, and let's also thread, there's two different things in, there is the historical progressive movement 
which is really a what I would describe as an FDR Democrat. And then there is the co-opted movement, the same way as you do on the, on the right as well, because just as I said earlier, as soon as grassroots spring up, rather than try to squash them, there'll, there'll be also be an effort to co-opt them and to say, hey, let's, let's keep the name and flavor on this and pretend like we have more variation within, but we're going to flood it with our own money and we're going to dress it up with window dressing and talking points, but it's still going to fundamentally be doing the same thing. And that's what probably you're talking about with progressives right now um, that are very different, that are interested more in particularly just social justice and, and uh, more of what you're getting in college campuses on the West Coast and the Northeast. Yeah, let me be very clear about that. What she says exactly, that's what I'm talking about, okay. the co-opted progressive wing. Because the, the real progressivism And okay. uh, classic liberalism is what we, we are all about. That's what the founding fathers were all about. The, the real progressives on the, on the, so what I call the left, they have not had any power in half a, since FDR. They've had none, no political power except for little pockets throughout the country. And they don't get anything done. Meaning, and, and even if you take, if you're talking about the squad or anybody like that, they don't get anything done either. They have no power whatsoever within their party. None of, I mean, tell me one thing that Tlaib or AOC, has actually brought home on those issues, it's not. It's in terms point of policy, letter. no. Nothing. But in terms of, uh, this is one of the reasons why uh, Biden is doing so poorly and probably in all likelihood, I don't think, is going to be uh, the, the Democrat that runs in November of next year. I really don't believe that. I don't think he's sustainable to do that. But part of the reason is because he has played so poorly uh, the folks like the squad and all that, the, the outsiders, and he's tried to placate them with, with administrative policy, that is a losing proposition. And the same thing is true but he, on the you're right. right you're right, he's losing them because the put it. And here's what it fundamentally comes down to in the Democratic Party, to be honest, is that today's suburban Democratic voter and today's Democratic donor is real close to a George Bush Republican. Real close. Anywhere that, that you look on foreign policy, the, the Democratic establishment is very hawkish. And if you would have told me that we would be in a position where that would have flipped within a generation where the Democrats have become more hawkish and the Republicans, because of their base, have become uh, more isolationist, which, you know, as you know, historically, they had been prior as well before the neoconservative movement, right? But neoliberalism looks a lot like neoconservatism. Now, the difference on the far right has been they had a willingness. What they did in 2010 that I, that I as much as I didn't agree with a lot of their policies, I, or I should say the extremism. And I, and I also, I have a very, very strong opposition to people who believe in the tyranny of the minority. And what I mean by that, for the, for the exact reason you said, which is because it stinks of fascism to me. So when... Somebody says this is only popular with 30% of the overall constituency, but it's really important to us. So we want you to find a way to push it through anyway. That is not democratic in my, in my opinion. And I, but what the far right did do well was they were willing to lose if they weren't going to get who they wanted. What I mean by that is they said in the primary, hey, I want this guy as a real conservative. And then somebody would say, well, this is a fairly moderate district, so 
they win the primary, we're going to lose in the general. And they said, I don't care. What's the difference between a Democrat or this Republican who's not serving me anyway? If the only road to getting the representation we want is to lose until we can get somebody across the finish line, I'll take it. I respected that because the left will never do it. The left always, 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 always kowtows to the vote blue no matter who. Don't, not this time. This election is too important. I know you don't like the nominee. I know he's not, you know, going to put Medicare for all or a public option on the, I know there's a lot of things that, you know, don't make the imperfect the enemy of the good. The danger this time is just too much. Come on, we've got to stop, you know, whoever, there's always going to be a candidate and the left always gets played that way. So they have no leverage. So the Tea Party gained real leverage. However, my, my complaint with them is they didn't know how to win. They didn't know how to take the win, meaning that they realized, hey, we've got a good like 20, 30% of the, the body politic here. We've got some real leverage, but they wanted everything. And they were like, we'll vote down the whole budget. We'll shut the government unless we get everything we want. Well, that's the tyranny of the minority. You're not supposed to get everything you want in a democracy ever, particularly if you're only representing about a third of the actual overall constituency. So they, what, I mean, there was a famous line, I forget who it was, that said that one time. It might have been John Boehner. Uh, yeah, it was. it was. Boehner was trying to work with the head of the uh, Tea Party Caucus or whatever they were called at the time. And he said, look, you guys need to learn how to win. Like, you've gotten the elections now. You need to learn how to trade this. What, what can you live with? And what will you give to get that? And your answer is always no. I can only live with exactly what I want. I won't give anything to get it. That seems to be the impediment. So that's the real difference on the left and the right is that the right, as I see it, the further right gained power the hard way. The left has always been too afraid to go that route. But the right, that, that elemental right, doesn't seem to want to accept that it's a diverse country that doesn't want all of their ideas all the time. And they, I mean, how do you feel about that? Like in a democracy, should there be 30% of the people enforcing their will on, 100, on the other seven? Yeah, uh, two things I'll address. You, you packed a lot in what you just said. One, I'll very briefly talk on this. I bristle when everybody calls, uh, refers to folks as isolationist, uh, particularly because I would probably be labeled an isolationist just like I've been called a sympathizer with George Soros by... <laughs> Uh, one or two people out there. Uh, but uh, because the likes of Ron Paul, Rand Paul, his son, uh, are get dismissed as being isolationists, they are nothing of the sort. They, they are not that. And the, the globalist on the left and those that are America first, uh, which I distinguish from MAGA, it's not the same thing at all. America for, You can be America first and vote for somebody else other than Trump in the primary. You really can't. It's, it's fundamentally different. Uh, but the, the idea that uh, we don't, and it's anti-neocon. You know, the Lindsey Grahams, the Marco Rubios, those are neoconservatives. Uh, they want us to be out there and solve the world's problems. And they're the ones that get us into endless wars and that we pay great price for in human blood and capital as a nation. But the last thing you said, with you there, uh, and I'll differ a little bit with you here. The, the, the idea of the Freedom Caucus, both at the national level and now I am... I am all in, as is Liberty Caucus, with the idea of having a state uh, movement towards having 
Freedom Caucus at the state level. And that is not about having a tyranny of just a few folks that belong to the Freedom Caucus. Although I agree, sometimes in the Freedom Caucus get a little bit hard up and they give up any wins they could have had. That's a true statement. But that's not the problem. Fundamentally, what they're trying to do is good. It is good. What they're trying to do is to keep a tyranny instead of by a group of 30 or 30 percent, a tyranny by one person or one woman, the Speaker of the House or the, the Senate president. And here in the state legislature, the same dang thing. You know very well that if you are the president of the Senate or you're the Speaker of the House in the Florida state legislature, you wield incredible power. You get to decide where the bills go, whether they'll be heard or not, who's going to be in charge of the committees. The only way you can put an end to that if you are Republican, Democrat, or anybody is if you have a power of a a select few groups that say, no, we're not going to do that. And that's fundamentally what happened in January when some of the folks that you might, that many might demean that stood up and say, no, we're not, we're not going to make McCarthy our speaker on their first vote. Even Steve Vernon came out and says, oh, I'm so angry that that they didn't vote him in on the first thing. I said, baloney, this is good for the republic. This is good. Either one, McCarthy, if he eventually gets in, and he did after 20 uh, votes, either uh, he will be a better speaker. In the end, he didn't turn out to because he broke his promises that he made in January. That's why he's out as speaker. He broke his promises. Hey, the guy I that I most I think he's out as speaker because Matt Gates didn't get the treatment on the uh, Matt Gates is one man, one vote. Well, he, uh, you he can't lay it all on Matt Gates. Uh, Matt Gates was kind of the, the verbal guy that spoke for the Freedom Caucus, but Matt Gates alone did not did not lead to the end of McCarthy. McCarthy did it to himself. That was self inflicted wound. Let me but, let me take some of this some of the stuff that you guys are are back and forthing on a on a much larger higher level outside of just county so thinking about a lot of what specifically mostly you two are are back and forthing on it makes me think about over the last several weeks i have been watching uh many times thanks to you because you record them or stream them um i've never been to any sort of uh rec dec any sort of political group meeting. I don't, I've never even attended the League of Women Voters meetings or anything. Not, not necessarily because I chose not to specifically, just I just never have had that sort of an interest to be that engaged in that way um, until now, till I'm here. But what I feel like I'm noticing, um, to, or from what I understand, being far removed from Washington, D.C. in Congress and what's happening there and what I see happening in REC meetings, um, some of your Liberty Caucus when you have speaking engagements, the Republican Club Lakewood Ranch, uh, town halls with some of the commissioners, which are not partisan events, but, you know, there's constituency there and they're talking about what I feel like I'm seeing is a lot of really frustrated people consistently are and it and it only seems to kind of be ramping up i mean there was the the town hall notably with um ray turner at the republican luncheon uh he even said himself i this is not at all what i was expecting um and he was asked a lot of you know they were not going easy on him the attendees were not going easy they were asking questions to the point where mr vernon actually stood up and said you know, I, I thought I was in a room with Republicans kind of calling the card yeah, right. on, you know, 
that again back with that I guess litmus test or something because people he were insulted asking. more than two hundred people in that room. That's what he did. Well, and then today you attended. Uh, I saw a video with uh, Commissioner Bearden had a town hall. Um, that was interesting, and and that got very tense at moments. There were some people in that room who got very frustrated. And if I if I understood what I was hearing and and watching on the video. Um, it seemed like a lot of that frustration was over specific policy decisions, one of which was the wetlands, um, and then that being shut down because we can't talk about that for some reason. I'm not quite clear why that wouldn't be an item that a commissioner could talk about at a town hall, except maybe they were maybe just advised, like, it didn't go well with Turner when he tried, so, like, just don't talk about that anymore. They'll, they'll probably give you, like, a, we're anticipating a legal challenge, so as a result, we're not... Uh, perhaps. Well, That's exactly what it was. In fact, Carol Feltz, as you know, she attends many of these. Of course, she's running. Uh, she's challenging right. in the primary. Uh, James Satcher, District Satcher, 1. Yes. Uh, she said that, and this didn't explain away everything that they could or could not say about that, just as you just said, Mitch, about, well, they're anticipating the legal things like that. But uh, it's kind of funny to watch the commissioner turn to his staff, uh, like he's saying, can I talk about that? Can I talk about that? And I says, come on now. You, you, you've been a commissioner for a year. You got big boy pants on. You, yeah. you can, and you I, should and know the it, rules. I found it interesting as well that it took residents in the room, citizens in the room, to clarify for both commi the Commissioner Bearden and his staff that just because he can't respond to us does not mean we cannot talk about it. Does not mean that we cannot voice our feelings on it or our considerations or why it doesn't make sense to us. Um, and it, it got pretty tense for a little bit there on that. Um, and then also there was a, um, what was the other, there was another meeting. Oh, there was an REC meeting, I think also that, no, I don't know if it was you who streamed it or somebody else, but a bunch of members walked out during that meeting. They were so frustrated and upset by how it was being led. And, and I believe the issue was over the reading of the budget, perhaps, or something like this, or financial report. And it caused several members to just get frustrated and leave. So my question is, in pointing this all out, I feel like as an outsider looking in, because I've never been to any of these in person or associated with these groups, and you go all the time, in the five years you've been here, do you feel like you are seeing something different um, where there is more willingness to put it on the table or call for accountability or uh, members of those groups speaking to, because like Mitch said, their commissioners, because according to those commissioners, anybody who isn't in their club and isn't in agreement with them that's not who they're there to represent. And I feel like that shift is starting also, as Mitch said early on, they're kind of making their circle very small. And so I'm seeing people who might have, like yourself, supported them, uh, waved signs for them, voted for them, now being told, eh, now nah, we don't really want to hear from you. And, um, you know, what you're doing isn't really Republican. Do you feel like that what is happening right now in that way 
is different than anything you've seen since you've been involved in Manatee County politics on the in the Republicans. Oh, it's absolutely different. And that was confirmed by uh, Mark Young, the conservative voice of Manatee County, who spoke at Lakewood Ranch today. Of course, the uh, the vice chairman of that group is Bruce Stam, who's also the treasurer of the Manatee County Republican Executive Committee, and he's the one that was not able to read his treasurer's report. That's what it was. I wasn't there. That was a members only. I'm not a member of the Republican Executive Committee. My first two years here, I was. And then I, I, I left it uh, because I said, so I'm going to wait until I have a compelling reason to do this because everything that, I'm, that I do that it has meaning uh, to support the principle that I stand for, I don't have to be a member of the Republican Executive Committee. I'd like to be. We encourage members of the Liberty Caucus uh, to do that. In fact, we'd like them to, uh, to run and hold office in, in those things. But, yeah, there, there is a fundamental sea change uh, difference right there. And it's gone from... It used to be that people that would speak up and they were trying to hold people accountable, both in elected office, but also the elected board and those that run the Republican Executive Committee, to hold them accountable, it was being dismissed as an attack. And holding somebody accountable is not the same thing as attacking somebody. I think we have a, a responsibility, a duty as a citizen, as an American, to hold and in a government of by and for the people, if you just say, well, I don't, I don't, I disagree with that policy, I disagree with that, and you're just quiet about that, what good are you? All you are is a potted plant. And quite honestly, that's one of the reasons why I left the Republican Executive Committee, and I, I went, I was a member of it through, and then for the last three years, I've gone as a guest. People are usually stunned. They say, oh, you're just signing as a guest? Aren't you a member? No, I'm not a member. I'm just here as a guest. And uh, I say plugged in. In fact, I probably attended more of the Republican Executive Committee meetings than many of the people that are actually members over the last five years. But that's what it is. Uh, you're just trying to hold them a a accountable. You're not trying to attack. Yeah, there, there might be some folks that get angry a little bit. Uh, Lord knows I can be dismissed sometimes because I'm very passionate. I really am. It probably came across here just on this podcast right there. I, I am. Uh, but uh, the, the passion is something that I think is a meld of what's in my head that I've thought through as well as what is in my emotions and it's not overlaid by one another. And if I get it wrong, I, I'm okay to come back and do that because it should always be fundamentally about principle and doing the right thing, doing the right thing, not the Republican thing, not the Democratic thing, not the thing that is uh, putting me on your enemy list or your friends list, but right. it's just the right thing well, to do. And I do have respect for you, I will say you know, where you stated at the beginning of this podcast, you know, that I, I did believe the things that were being said and the messages that were being pumped by these, you know, commissioners, especially the most recent, and now they're there. And I'm kind of, you know, I don't know, maybe I don't want to put words in your mouth, maybe having regrets about the way you voted or how much you supported or helped to usher in, um, you know, from your group side, support from, from members of your group. I, I think that sometimes just on a human level, people have a hard time saying, hey, I got that one wrong or I misjudged this situation or there was information I didn't have at the time that if I had had it, I would have responded differently because like you were saying at the opening, that automatically, you know, spits out in, in the brain that I'm either stupid right? Or I was too lazy to know, or I was weak, right? And, and I think that I feel like, um, you know, 
I, I don't know how often you listen to our podcast, but much of what I feel like is happening in terms of, of disinformation and the special interests in this county um, and interfering in our elections and our local, you know, active uh, partisan groups, I see a lot of that disinformation machine as predatory. And so I see voters as victims of that. Um, and I don't, I'm, I personally don't look at victims as weak or stupid or, you know, may there be a vulnerability there that is being preyed upon um, that somebody has identified. Um, yes, but I, I, I do hope that there are others in this county, voters who maybe uh, supported wave signs or whatever and are seeing what is actually happening, what the results you are getting, as the commissioners like to say, many of them, they have lots of phrases, they like to say that this is how the sausage is made or whatever. Now that you're seeing the sausage made with these specific people, if you're unhappy, it's okay to say, boy, I got that wrong without thinking that that somehow, what it, what it, what it diminishes Oh, I've been I've been very public about that, and uh, and it's folks are warming up to that more. But initially, I took a lot of heat uh, for saying, "Hey, I have I personally, and on behalf of me convincing others within the Liberty Caucus of Manatee County, believe a certain way that I have buyer's remorse." There are folks that are running re-election right now that I have buyer's remorse about. And you we were some bears, that I regret that I have to wait two more years. You were extremely active last cycle. So, I mean, meaning that the support you offered was a lot of shoe leather campaigning. And, I mean, you delivered a lot of votes to several of these commissioners that are on the board. Well, and, and one of the things that I personally don't generally do is I, for at least one of the candidates, not up for election this time, I did door to door. Usually that's not my thing. I'm a sign waver. I do a lot of things on social media. Uh, I do. I, uh, Facebook and all that. And I reach out beyond that thing. Your truck I, is a billboard. Yeah. <laughs> Your I, truck outside is hard to miss. The, well, exactly. <laughs> and yeah, the, the current uh, chairwoman of the Republican Executive Committee, I, the meanest email or the meanest posting, it was on my Republican Liberty Caucus page, our Republican Liberty Caucus page. Uh, I let it lay that afternoon and I deleted it because she did it in my front door. She walked into my house and then said, among other things that were egregious, most of it factually incorrect. But she said that my truck, believe it or not, was an embarrassment to the Republican Party. <laughs> and, and for anybody that has known the things that I've had on my truck and my trailer, to call that an embarrassment to the Republican Party? Are you serious? And the ironic thing was is that she did about 13 of her Trump trains before she got involved in the party and things like that on eight of those 13 i was in there with my trailer with your truck with your uh, with, with your my signs, truck with and all the things and i didn't hear anybody say that they were embarrassed at that time <laughs> yeah when i wasn't on somebody's enemy or bad boy list i was all in and it was all good so that's one of those things that that bothers me a lot i'm still awaiting an apology for that I'm still waiting an apology from Commissioner Bearden, who had an opportunity this morning uh, for having physically kept me from going from not a county commissioner thing, but from his gatekeeper thing, which I had a ticket for here about two weeks ago, wouldn't allow me in there. And said he wouldn't I let you into an event? Oh, no, it was the gatekeepers, which, of course, you know, he's in the national and his state. He's been the leader for right here. Uh, I had a ticket for it. I was going there because there's a gal named Michelle Ponzi who's running against uh, Vern Buchanan's son, James, 
uh, for a state house down there. I was there. I was going there to listen to her and support her. I've heard her before. And, of course, Connie Bruni, who's the head of the Sarasota Republican Assembly, a very like-minded group that is doing some of the same fighting that we're doing in Manatee County uh, to take the power out of the hands of, and down there it's largely Pat Neal here, it's largely Carlos Brew, but they've divided up their turf accordingly. Uh, but uh, I went there to do that, and he physically blocked me from going in there. Bearden, Bearden himself. Oh yeah, Bearden told himself. You? He did. He came from there, and then. And did you tell him you had a ticket? Oh yes. Oh, what absolutely. Was his front. What? Yeah. What reason? Well, he says it? you're not welcome here, and he says I cannot believe after everything that you have done to us why you would even come here, and, and it begged a whole bunch of questions. Wow. I've asked him on social media. Said, okay, first of all, what have I done? Uh, please explain that. And when you say to us, who's the us that you're talking about? I don't get it. I'm, I'm awaiting explanation. If he wants to apologize for physically barring me, and he should, because it was rude. I had a ticket. I got dressed up. I traveled down there uh, to the mall to be there for Let it. me ask you a question, Kevin. Do you think, and sometimes I, I, I so I'll preface it with, I, I genuinely feel like this might be part of it. So I'm, I'm curious as to what you think. Do you think that, too many local, let's go beyond voters and say people that are active in local politics. Do you think it sometimes becomes so deeply ingrained as a competition of us against them and it becomes sort of a place where they find meaning and purpose in their life and they find social connections and then it stops really becoming about, hey, we're going to be involved members of our community are going to advocate for public policy that we feel is best for the community and instead becomes this zero-sum game. And, and, and that maybe, maybe some of the technology we're exposed to now is just better at exploiting that than it was when there was nothing more than direct mail pieces. Yeah, it's a two-edged sword, but you're exactly right. It has become a zero-sum game. I've often said that we got too many people that are making enemy list and friend list, and it, never the two. We create bubbles of our own making. Many of our elected officials do that. Many in the party, both parties do that. They create bubbles of their own making. It doesn't have to be. And they never even give any consideration in saying, hey, I, I can partner with you on this because we are of like mind on that. Let's partner on it. It's no, they're a part of it. They are them. It's us versus them. That, that there is entirely uh, too much of that. And it keeps us from getting real things done and making bridges because sometimes, uh, even friend, I've, quite honestly, I've got some folks that, uh, that were friends and some of them were elected officials that were friends. Uh, that uh, I've either apologized if I, if I had done something to hurt their feelings, uh, although I never worry about my feelings being hurt. They, uh, otherwise, I'd, I wouldn't be doing what I do. But the two-edged sword about social media, it got, cuts both ways. One, it empowers guys like me. Uh, it empowers me because I can do recording. I can send it out on email, but I can put it out there on social media. I, and I do it in a lot of things, a, a very nonpartisan way because I advocate for veterans and issues in education. So I can put it out on a bunch of Facebook pages just in the state and nationally out there. And a lot of people that otherwise wouldn't get it. And polit politically, it is. So it, it empowers. And there's a lot of independent journalists out there. you got like John Susie of the Sarasota Phoenix, uh, you've got like Mark Young, who's back to being an independent journalist right now. 
And actually, you here, even though you're with the Bradenton Times, this podcast is really pretty damn independent, I think. I don't think you're tethered by your boss on well, this. Well, this is I, you. I would tell you, our boss, I haven't heard from him in weeks. Uh, <laughs> he, he, we are not tethered to anything with the paper. When it comes down to what goes in the paper, we, Joe and I have always had an agreement that it's his company and it's my newspaper. So the only person that decides what goes in the newspaper is me. And in conjunction with the, my staff, uh, and Joe reads it when it comes out. So there, there, there's, we couldn't be more independent. And then when you look on top of it, that he has no special interest. And that's the one thing that's very unique is that Joe's a wealthy man that served the community for 20 years as county commissioner, lived here since he was a little kid and loves the place. And there's no, there's no other end of it. There's no like, well, you know, I have this special interest or this special interest and I, I need this sort of thing to come with it. It's just, I want a resource of telling people the truth. And he mm -hmm. saw as a Republican, uh, to give you a little bit more about his history, he was the lab rat, if you will, on the post-Citizens United, how do you go after somebody? So he was the very first Republican that got primaried locally, post-Citizens United. So in 2012, Baruf spent the best of, that, that I can analyze it by looking at all the different packs and you know how, how good they are moving things around, but around a quarter million dollars in total, him and his interests, spent on getting one commissioner out, which by the way, just like now, he uh, was losing 6-1 votes all the time. He wasn't stopping them from getting one single development. It was just that by bringing up the issue that may have alerted the public and that may have made it more difficult to push things through. So he had to go. They really wanted a, a, a seven, nothing board. And we see that again. Now we've seen that in the last time around where you had commissioners like Misty Servia and Carol Whitmore who voted with developers about 80, 90% of the time. I mean, it was about as much as you can get. I mean, when you have Betsy Benack and Missy Servia who spent their whole lives in development and planning, you know, you're clearly coming with it in a, with a pro-development perspective. There's no doubt with that. But the, the problem became when King Carlos decided that I don't just want to get most of the things I want, I want to get them all, and also, I'm also interested in things that have nothing to do with development. I'm, I'm going to get interested in the social issues and stuff like that. Things like firing a, a county administrator, and I need you with me 100% of the time. And that's, I think, what has really shifted this board is, one, you have people having seen that, that are on it. I mean, I said that to George Cruz when he was running, and he did, be very candid, he had a mindset that, well, you're going to see. I'm not going to agree with Carlos all the time. I've spoken with him several times. I, I, I think that we have a lot of the same, you know, because he came kind of from the development world himself, but there are certain things that, that I want to do that he has no interest in. And I kind of chuckled and I said, you know, I, I think you're missing the real important part here. You have his support because someone said no to him once. I mean, when you look back at, I don't think you were here when Ed Hunziker was the county commissioner. Ed Hunziker did more for developers than any county administrator in Manatee County history. He streamlined the development process through development services uh, and, and did a really creative job of using the Great Recession and the amount of uh, uh, cutbacks that we had in government to favor development proposals. 
And then he said no to them once. And that was it. You're dead to me. You're going to lose your job. And then I think he kind of ran a revenge campaign to, uh, but boy, do I wish we had Ed Hunziker on that board today because as much as I wasn't fond of his acquiescence to the development cartel as a administrator, uh, you know, is the enemy of your enemy your friend? Um, but really what we have now is not only do we have that example of, if you say no, I'm going to crush you, but we also have, and I think this is important, and I'm curious to hear your your uh, reaction to this, do we really have to look at candidates and say, we really need people in there that don't need the money and can do one term and say, okay, fine, if a developer comes after me, at least at least for the next four years, you won't have an absurd vote like the wetlands, or you won't have an absurd vote on the FDAB. At least for four years, I'll represent the people, and that should be fine. I mean, I wouldn't want to serve in public office for more than four years. I don't understand people that want to make a career out of it. It's not the way that it was intended to be. But when you have people like, look, I've, it's public record. I, I know James Satcher's financials. He can't afford not to get elected. His lifestyle has improved dramatically just by getting a county commissioner's paycheck and insurance and into a federal or a Florida retirement system. Uh, he's got five kids and a big expensive SUV to make payments on and a house that he's, I believe, renting. Um, not sure who he's renting it from. Uh, heard some rumors. Um, he can't go against the vote. So is that an important quality to look at a candidate and say, hey, we need to look a little bit harder at their financial disclosures. And if they're getting a whole bunch of money and support to run and they don't have any money, doesn't that seem like a recipe for disaster? Uh, yes and no. There's a, a couple commissioners. In fact, uh, Commissioner Beard and I know said about a week ago, he goes, hey, uh, this is one thing that he and George have in common is that they they could live just fine without making that 90, now they're going to be in for a raise, $90,000 as a board of county commissioner. That hadn't always been true for them, but um, that may be true right now. But yeah, it's actually, quite honestly, I'd, I'd like to, there's a couple things I'd like to see. I'd like to see the tax returns for the last five years from several of the county commissioners, frankly, because I think they could be very revealing of about a lot of things. I really do. And so if, if they're listening out there and if, uh, if you are bold enough, go ahead. I, I, mine are open. I'll, I'll show you my DD-214. I'll show you uh, my life history going back to when I was in kindergarten. I carry it around in a, a notebook. But uh, <laughs> I'm not running for office. But uh, you are in office or running for office. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it's yes or no thing. Yet you don't want to presume that money is driving, but – Money, that's not the thing. You do have to feed your children. When you've got five kids, a wife, and all that, and uh, you're only making your money through a ministry or thing like that, uh, you can't, I cannot presume that money is the driver. I, I cannot. There's not evidence of that. But inquiring minds have got to ask that. It, does that have some influence? And so, but for me, the answer is simple. I, I would be in Liberty Caucus. We'd like to see term limits at every single office at every single level, period. Uh, to, to where the, the money and just having to have the job is no longer the driver. And that, that's true at the national level and all that. But, uh, you, you know, uh, the, the turkey doesn't vote uh, for Thanksgiving. 
<laughs> and so the folks that have the say right now, like Congress and others, uh, to make that happen, they're not going to vote for that. But uh, I believe that would have a fundamental sea change about how people approach their jobs and all that. So I guess uh, yes and no. For some folks, the money may drive it. And uh, you never want money or the need for the paycheck to be the driver. Some, some advantages. Most of the folks... They're in a state legislature. You know, they make enough money. They can be part-time. They're realtors or lawyers, most of them. They're either realtors or lawyers, or they're retired, and they just get, uh, you know, whatever retirement paycheck. They, so they, they got to do that. They can, do, they can be a state legislator as a hobby. Well, the, that's the <laughs> other side of the argument, though. Yeah. So state legislators who, who make less than half of a county commissioner. Oh, there you go. Right? <laughs> So the other side of that argument is people will say, well, you can't be an everyday person and be the state legislature because it's not enough to live off of. And unless you're a lawyer or you have a successful business or you're retired, you're never going to be able to have the freedom to go for every special session and go up, go back and forth from your job. So like a teacher, for example, can't be a legislator, a state legislator while they're still teaching. Uh, so the other end of the argument on that one is that the state legislators are limited to a, a, a pool of maybe 20, 30% of the population that would ever be able to do that. So well, I guess it goes both ways. They, they, they call themselves, they don't call themselves, some of them, in truth, they are not. They say they are citizen legislators because they work part-time. That's not true. Right. It's not true in most state legislatures across the United States of America. They, they are not. They are, they are professional politicians. They are professional. Even those that they say up front, well, I'm going to term limit myself and all that. Uh, they get in there and say, ah, I need to do that. And they'll serve out even here in a term limit state at the state level. Uh, they, they will do that. And it's usually a springboard to run. Well, I was in the uh, House. Now I'm going to run for the Senate. Or I was doing this. And now I'm sometimes run for they come this. back for the county commission because well, they're vested in that Florida retirement system. And if they can get 30 years in by going through three different offices, that's a pretty nice paycheck by the end. Or they were a state representative. And now they're what? They were a supervisor of elections. Right, right, right. Yeah. You said you said earlier that you were um, <clears throat> you were not going to give up, and that you, your principles require that you uh, you know demand accountability, um, participate in the process. That you weren't simply going to give up just because you're now on the attack or been put on the enemy list of whoever, wherever. Um, and they're making memes with hats on your head and whatever. Um, do you have any predictions? What do you think is going to be the outcome for Manatee County in 2024? Yeah, well, the first thing I want to say is instead of saying my principles or my stance, it's our principles, our stance, because I think they are, frankly, American principles. They're supposed to be fundamental to what the Republican Party says here, because they, we often say, well, our task is to elect Republicans. That's a true statement. That's our task. But as military folks, we know that mission statements have two parts, task and purpose. You have a task to elect Republicans to office. But the more important part is why do we want to elect Republicans is to fulfill the purpose is because we want to have a, both a party and government at every level that is for constitutional limited government, individual rights and responsibilities, and free enterprise. Those are the things I think we agree on. So I've got a good feeling. I, I, I hate to predict, but I will tell you, I can tell you the way I think things are flowing right now. And the direction and the uh, the change in leadership and the outspokenness like the Lakewood Ranch Republican Club, and I see that, and the, the quieting of the voices of the folks like Jennings Lawton Dupreece, who's the mini-me for Anthony Pettuccini here in Manatee County. And Anthony Pettuccini has been quiet for a while. You haven't heard that much. I haven't heard 
Kevin Van Oster was running into that uh, using quotes from anything that they said because they're not out there. I think they're getting smarter and they're saying, hey, this is not working. We tried hard to do this, to name call and call them out and, and things like that, and it doesn't work out. And they're saying, hey, this guy right in the Liberty Caucus, they're not alone. They're speaking of the, a majority, a lot of folks, because you were hearing it at town halls. We're hearing it from the dais and all those things like that. So I've got a good feeling. It, we're not going to win back uh, empowerment of the voters, the constituents in 2024. But I think we're taking steps forward. We really do. I think even in losses, because sometimes you can lose and still uh, mark it as, as a, a win in one's sake because the message gets out. That's important. A lot of people, they don't want to have challenges to, uh, you know, incumbents and all that. And I say, rubbish, rubbish. There are messages, there are things that need to get out there, and you will make that incumbent, even if they are almost a shoe and get elected, you will make them a better uh, incumbent, a better person being reelected to the office if they are made to bear the fire of being challenged in a primary race and in a general election. It's absolutely, that's a part of what human nature is, part of, frankly, of what we as Americans ought to call for. Competition is good. If you're going to call for competition and free enterprise in the business, by golly, you got to call for it within the party and within uh, our elected offices. You can't just be, well, he's the incumbent and he hasn't, uh, he hasn't been caught with his pants down with a, with a minor anywhere. Uh, so uh, we need to stand by that, that person. Nonsense. Absolutely nonsense. Competition is good. It makes the party stronger. It makes that whoever does get elected, whether it's a challenger or the incumbent, that much better. It really does. It's a good thing. So I feel good. I feel good about between. It's going to be hard uh, for everybody, and it, it's, it should be hard on the people that are running for office. Kevin, let me let, you, let, let me let you have last word here. Okay. What would your message to Republicans who are frustrated by the actions of this board but are also feeling somewhat helpless if, they, if they're saying, well, I don't want to become you know a member of a different party? What is the message in terms of what we have to do locally in order for them to be able to recapture the meaning of, of, of that movement in the first place. Actually, some of what I would advise them to do is going to be a little bit ironic, but you, you really got to, whether you become a member of some of these Republican clubs or the Republican executive committee, uh, people that think like uh, myself and the Liberty Caucus, and I think is a growing majority within the Republican executive. I really do believe that. That's one of the reasons why I feel very good, because I, I think from what I have observed, and I, I'm a fairly decent judge of human character and the way things are blowing better than some of the, the leader of the Republican executive committee, it just they blinded themselves to what is uh, should be obvious. The cards are laid out on the table. Uh, to continue to do what we're doing is like hitting our head against that wall right there. Uh, you will not improve things. Uh, you will not win over folks. You're not going to beat these folks out of them. But I would just say, hey, uh, take courage. One, be yourself. Uh, uh, you don't have to be a Kevin Wright. Uh, they're different. I've got some of my best friends uh, approach things fundamentally different than I do. Some of them are much quieter about that, but they do something. They're engaged. Play to your strengths. Uh, do what you can. And, and don't be discouraged uh, because you, you're going to take that. If, to do right, you know, you can't please all the people all the time. And if you want to be in the business of pleasing all the people all the time, you need to sell ice cream. You need to get out of politics. You need to get out of partisan politics. You're not. Go sell ice cream because this isn't for you. 
All right. Go sell ice cream. We'll leave it there. <laughs> Kevin, thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. I hope that your work continues to have an impact on reforming your party. Join us Sunday for the BradentonTimes.com Sunday edition. Fact-based news and analysis without an agenda. Well, I enjoyed that. I-